This is To The Point. A rhino experience. Voted one of the top home services marketing and operations podcasts. Cutting through the bullshit and getting to the point. Hey, what's up to the point listeners? It is your boy, Chris Yano, the host of To The Point Home Services podcast. And we are going for round two with Jimmy Hiller. Where's round one, you ask? You never heard it. We actually shot the podcast live at, uh, we were at the, I think the Rude Expo, Reem Rude Expo. Is that where we were at, Jimmy? Yes, yes, sir. Rude uh, Reem Expo in, in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, that's it. And actually, it was good. It was a really good podcast, but I just, once I learned a little bit more about Jimmy's story, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to redo it because now I know a little bit more. But hey, you know, I, I, I rubbed this in last time, so I'm going to rub it in again. Um, and, and even though I know you didn't go, but Jimmy Jr. was there, I just want to make sure we don't forget, if you could just let our audience know, Jimmy, who ended up winning that Music City Bowl game between Purdue and Tennessee? Do you remember? Because I don't, I don't recall. Yeah, I, I, I remember it. it uh, I still have a few little nightmares about it. <laughs> Obviously, in my opinion, we should have won, but uh, you, we, we we didn't win. So I guess that was good for you. Oh, right? oh, so yeah, Purdue won the game. That's right. The scoreboard said <laughs> Purdue wins again. Yeah, we got to take him when we can get him because Purdue football is usually pretty garbage. So the fact that we got a W is great. Um, and anyway, it's an exciting time for uh, Purdue well, football. Well, it's baseball season now. <laughs> Just remember that. It's baseball season. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I don't care about that. Uh, anyhow, um, listen, I appreciate you making time and, and for doing this again. I know you have a ton of stuff going on, and um, and I'm grateful because I really do want to share um, on the story. And those who've, who I've talked to about it, um, we – you know, when we were in Las Vegas, you know, the, our social team had made some live posts. So people saw us actually doing this podcast together and then they're reaching out to us saying, where's the Jimmy Hiller podcast? Where's the Jimmy Hiller podcast? So if you're listening to it, it's here. You got it. You're about to listen to it right now, but uh, Jimmy, appreciate you redoing this thing again with me. And, and, um, and it's been, um, it was good for me to just kind of hear all of your story because I've heard bits and pieces of things and I've always known about, um, Hiller and the business that I've heard by over the years and the success of it and the reputation of the business and like all the things. So it was cool to finally catch up. Cause you remember, I think I was like trying to track you down for like months to get this thing locked in. And we just ended up fate brought us together in Las Vegas and we were able to do it in the expo hall. So thanks for making time for me. And I appreciate it. No, I, I appreciate your time. So, um, to all of our listeners, just so you know, you're in for a real treat today. Um, I was just talking to a guy on the phone right before I got on here and, uh, and I said, Hey, I gotta go do this podcast with Jimmy Hiller. He's like, Oh, Jimmy Hiller. He's over in Virginia. So, uh, your reputation precedes you, Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) So what I want to do is, um, I want to talk about a, uh, a few things like before we kind of get, well, let's, let's go right into the story too, because I, I, your story is such a good one that, um, I think part of our listeners hearing kind of all things like, Hey, Jimmy, all the way up to current day, like tell everybody the story, like how, like how you got into the trades and then, um, all the way up to date, like some, uh, you, you had a few, uh, you had a few bumps in the road along the way, maybe a few trees that kind of got in the way sometimes or (laughs) different things that happened. You want to from, share from time to time. So, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, uh, the, the story starts, I've got to take you really all the way back, back to high school to, uh, to get into the trade. So, 
you know, something happened to me, obviously, my senior year in high school. My first child was born uh, 11 days after I turned 18 years old. So as I going through high school, that was my senior year. And my older brother, he went off to college. And then later on, my two younger sisters went off to college. When I got to high school, I had to go, had to, go to work. So uh, I had worked through my senior year in high school at a, at a gas station. You know, back then, probably nobody on this podcast today knows that you used to could pull your car up to a to a gas station and somebody, which would be Jimmy at that time, would run out there and actually pump you gas. Oh, I remember that. Collect the money, go in and make change. That's so full service. You probably never. Full service. Uh, Full service, but I don't know that you've ever had that. You, you're a lot younger than me, but you know. And if they if they wanted you to check the oil, you check the oil. If you wanted them to clean the windshields, you clean the windshields. Well, that's what I was doing during high school, and then obviously when I got out of high school, that was my job. So I carried that on. A good friend of my father's was a plumbing inspector, so they got together one afternoon and they got to talking. And and my my father said, you know, hey, we got to figure out a uh, a, a trade for Jimmy. He's got to have some type of career better than, uh, you know, pumping gas for, for people. So they got together and they said, okay, Jimmy's going to become a plumber. And uh, my, my friend Horace Knox, who's passed away now, it, being a plumbing inspector, he found me my very first plumbing job in uh, December of 1984. So the funny part of that story, I, I was roughing in uh, apartments, plumbing in apartments. In February of uh, 1985 was the coldest day in Nashville history. So <laughs> I, I reflect that back, you know, I was a young guy, so it didn't bother me a whole lot. It would probably bother me today. But the coldest day in Nashville, I was out there in uh, roughing in, a, in apartments. So Lucky. worked there for a couple of years, went on, I got my journeyman's license. And, you know, back then in the trades, the, the journeyman's license really didn't mean a whole lot. So the older, wiser, better plumbers than I was for sure at that, 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 at that time had more skill, but because of my age and because of my lack of experience, they wouldn't give me any more money. So I went to, uh, to work for another contractor, um, a mistake, you know, they were going to give me two more dollars an hour. So at that time I was pretty, pretty hungry for, for money so I, so I took took that, you know, I, I went from, from $8 an hour to $10 an hour. So that'll tell you how long ago that was, <laughs> but $2 an hour was a lot of money that, yeah. at that time. Now, the difference was the contractor I was working for at $8 an hour, he would let me work every Saturday, which I did for most of my career. The new, new contractor I worked for would not. So I really didn't net any more, any more money at the time. Got it. Worked him, worked with him for a, uh, about a about a year and as i was going home one night which we may get into the story late one night uh, i went off the road and, and hit a tree and broke broke my leg so that when i was in the hospital they gave me a choice they said hey jimmy you can stay in the hospital in traction for a month or we can operate on you put a rod through the center of your your, your leg and uh, you can get out here in about three days i chose to get out in three days I uh, still had to be off work for, for a, uh, a, uh, a couple of weeks. But then after that, I wanted to go back to work and he didn't have a job for me. So I, then I started on my third job, roughing in uh, apartments again and um, worked there for, for about a year. Um, wind up getting a, a, a DUI, 
went to went to work for another another contractor, and then um, my wife decided that that she pretty much had enough by that time. So I had my first child when I was uh, eighteen. Had three kids by the time I was twenty two. Found myself going through a divorce at twenty three. And a DUI. So, and and uh, it was just just a, a tough way to go. I, physically, I didn't have any problems. Just just financially, I had problems. I had a drinking problem. Yeah. Going through a divorce, my father once again stepped in and said, "Hey, I'm willing to help you, but but let, let's figure out what the problem was." We went to an attorney, and in talking to that attorney, and and I've been blessed many times in my life that the right people come into my life at the right time. So I met with this attorney and. He said, Jimmy, here's the problem we have. We have this problem that, that hey, your, your soon-to-be ex-wife is going to want to have supervised, you to have supervised visitation with your children. What I would recommend with you is going and meeting with this lady who um, runs this, this program at Cumberland Heights, it's Alcohol and Drug Treatment Center, and getting her advice. If, if nothing else, we can go into court and say, hey, this is what uh, they recommend for you, either you know, Jimmy, you've got a problem or Jimmy, you don't have a problem. We'll, we'll have the answer and, and whatever. So my father being a wise older man than me, obviously, and said, hey, here's what I want you to do. Will you give me your word that whatever she recommends for you, you will go ahead and do? And obviously me in the back of my head said, well, there's nobody's going to think I have a problem. So obviously I will do ex exactly what they said. Well, when I went there, she said, here's what I'd recommend. I recommend you going through this outpatient treatment program that we have. But here I got these two or three things that, that I need you to do before our next meeting. I agreed to that, left. My father contacted me and said, hey, what happened? I told him. He said, OK, the outpatient treatment sounds good, good to me. Well, a week later when I went back to meet with her, uh, she had given me those few things to do. She said, hey, did you do this? Did you do that? And I said, no, ma'am, I hadn't done it. She said, well, Jimmy, it's pretty obvious to me that you're not willing to follow the directions that, that we've laid out for you through the outpatient tro treatment program. So now I recommend that you go through in inpatient treatment. And that's where I wind up. So I turned 24 years old in uh, Cumberland Heights treatment, treatment Center. And obviously the best 28 days I've spent in my life because that led on to, to where I am today. Short, right, shortly after, within two months of getting out of treatment, I went and took my master plumber's test uh, here in, in Metro Nashville, passed it. And then within three months, I went and in, went into business for myself. So first, first little bit was, was, was pretty rocky. Um, uh, after I got my master's license, I went in and sat down with my boss one Friday afternoon he said, and we really weren't doing a whole lot, just kind of just talking. He said, and he looked at me and said, hey, Jimmy, you don't seem to be as happy as you uh, once was here, here working with me. And I said, well, Jack, I think I want to try it for myself. So I went into work one, one Friday, had a job. And when I left that Friday, I didn't have a job. I had $500 to my name. I had a, a pickup truck and um, no job. I called up my father and said, hey, guess what? I'm, I'm in business. Once again, he tried to advise me and he said, hey, I'll help you do this. He was a businessman. He said, well, get, get your uncle who had a bookkeeping service. We'll get you to, uh, we'll start doing your books and I'll teach you how to set up the corporation and do all that. 
went on for, so we did that. And I would go meet with my uncle on Sundays and he would go give me my information back, my books, my financials. And, uh, my father called me and said, Hey, your uncle Jimmy wants to meet me and you here on Sunday. Can you do that? And I said, well, sure. So when we show up at my uncle's office building and we sit down talking and basically they had talked before and they said, Hey, Jimmy, uh, we, you, you need to go find your job. You're not making any money. You hadn't made any money in, in three or four or five months. And uh, it's time for you to, to pack it up and go to work for somebody else. And with tears coming down my eyes, I looked at them both and I said, hey, if I give up now, I'll never have anything in my life. And I stopped doing the books. I stopped doing anything. But in reality, for the next three years, I just got up every, every morning and went to work. Did, didn't have any financials. Didn't file any taxes for three years. And uh, until one day I figured out I, I, I better. The IRS wasn't coming after me because I wasn't, wasn't making make any money. money. <laughs> That was really the start uh, of doing that. So for three years, I just got up every Monday, every morning, and went went to work trying trying to go grow a little plumbing. Hey Jimmy, business. Jimmy, quick question. Let me interrupt for just a second. Um, so, just for the point of reference for our listeners, what year was that when you when you had to have the conversation um, with your dad? Like, just so I kind of have some points of reference. Like, what when was that? He talking about when we started the business was in 1990. Right. And, so, then, and then you went a few so, years where you were like, weren't, weren't really making anything too. But so take, kind of take me through that time frame If you can think through like some of the years, just so I can kind of follow it down the path. Yeah. So in 1990, obviously I, I, I was working for a residential new construction guy. And, you know, so that was the easiest path, at least in my mind, looking at him, I thought he was a rich, rich, wealthy guy, so I wanted to be somewhat successful and, and make make some halfway decent money. So I I started traveling out. Now, in reality, what I did is I spent most of my week trying to come up with enough work, and I worked most of the weekend. So I'd hustle. You know, I'd get up every morning. I'd drive to subdivision and I'd knock on trailer doors. Hey, can I give you a price on on doing this plumbing work? And over the years, I'd picked up enough work you know, to, to, to survive. And that's really what it was for the first, you know, I guess at least eight years, it was about survival and growing the business and doing nothing but residential new construction at that, at that time. Got it. And then in uh, 1998, the contractors, at least in my mind that I thought were making money, the big bucks, were the commercial guys. So they had the nicer trucks. They did the bigger jobs, you know, the commercial buildings. And I said, well, you know, I really want a piece of that. So I said, you know, at the time, if I was doing a residential job for you, I knew when I'd start the job, I knew when I'd finish the job and pretty close could know when the, when you were going to pay me. <laughs> so um, when I would do that job and I figured that the construction side of it, the commercial construction side of it, wasn't going to be like that. It, it would be 30 days at best before I'd get paid and then 45 more than likely and sometimes 60. 60. So I sit there and say, okay, how am I going to make payroll while I'm doing these big jobs waiting for the big checks to come in? So that's originally how my uh, residential service side of my business came into play is I simply wanted to bring in enough money during the week to make payroll waiting on the big checks to come in. 
And that's really what I did. So I started the commercial new construction side along with the service side in 1998 and turned my focus more to, to the, um, to the commercial side. And then in, in 1999, obviously I met Jim Abrams and Terry Nicholson. What I did didn't know then that, that I know now very clearly is I was a pretty good tradesperson. I was a pretty good plumber. I knew how to do all the work. And like, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, I was a technician that thought, thought that he could run a business doing the technical work of, of the business that they were doing. And I, I went to, to Jim and Terry, and that's where I started getting my business knowledge. And that's really when the business, it t- took a while. I'm not going to say it happened overnight, but mm-hmm. I started putting the business principles that they laid out in place. And I, I would go to class, I would learn, and then I would take the notes and everything that I learned through there, and I try to implement them into into my business. Hey, Jimmy, Jimmy, when, how did you meet them? Like, where, when when did that happen? Like, how how did you come across those? Well, that? That was in 1999. I got, I got a flyer in the mail. You know, everything was done through the mail at that time, and said, "Hey, if you want to improve your life and improve your business, drive to Sarasota or not Sarasota. Drive to St. Louis, Missouri, and and meet with us." And uh, and I took one of my trusted employees at the time and we made that long drive. And he's saying, Jimmy, now you got to promise me, you got to promise me, Jimmy, you're not going to sign up. You're not going to sign up well with that. Cause I'd already done that one. I'd already hired two consultants to try to help me with the business side of it. One, I wind up firing who cheated me out of some money. Another one I want who cheated me out of some money and I wound up suing and getting the money back from him. So now we're on what, I, what I'm going to call our third advisors trying to help me. So we drove to, to uh, and Claude had been with me all that time, so been with me through the struggles. So we're driving saying, Jimmy, you got to promise me. I said, I said Claude, I'm not going to promise you anything. We're going to go up here. We're going to listen to what these people have to say. Now, I don't know what they had, whether I knew exactly that they would help me at that time. You know, I was looking for somebody to assist me in any way they could. And obviously, they had had uh, a history of building businesses. So I grabbed a hold of them and I said, hey, I'm willing to to partner up with y'all. I'm willing to come to it and I'm willing to do all the work necessary to make my business successful. If you're willing to, to share with me the information that you know the business side of it, I'm willing to do it because, like I said, I was a tradesperson and uh, who's trying to become a businessman. So, okay, I knew I wanted to make sure we got through that because I guarantee you, somebody listening right now has had the consultants and had the exact same outcome <laughs> in the beginning. So that's. So I think I, when you look at when you look at these people, I think you have to look at who they are and what they've done, right? It's it's there's a lot of people out there in the world today. Yep. But you know, we do what we do every single day. Practice S10, you know, I'm in the business and 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 I'm doing, I'm living the world that everybody's living in today. Mr. Abrams lived in that world. He had owned and operated contracting businesses. So he had a proven track track record of what he had done. And we just needed to follow his blueprint. That's what we did did back then, and obviously I, I needed some help, and uh, him and Terry were the ones that I looked to. Got it. so so you ended up meeting them, and was it was ninety nine? Is that right? Yes, sir. Got it. Um, I'm going to backtrack for just a second before we go into the two thousands and on, because something that I missed the first time around too, because I didn't know, and I don't know how I didn't know this because it was such an important piece, is that, and and, I'm, and I still don't. 
know that I quite understand how it plays into the whole story other than I was disappointed in myself for not knowing that boxing was a part of your youth. (laughs) And it clearly says it it, plain as day on the website when I was reading through the bio boxing. So you, if I read it right, and I I think this is, I, I'm hoping I can pull out of this what I think is going to be successful, like for this whole, the story as a whole. But if I read it correctly, did you start boxing at like 12? Is that when it was? Yeah, it's just pretty, pretty close around there. So, I, you know, me and my brother are only about 10 months apart, but my brother was always a lot bigger than me. So he and we all played football and baseball, played, played hockey. We, we played all those sports, but he, he was so much bigger than me. He excelled better at, at those sports than I did. I was always a little, little guy. So, um, same. you know, I don't know how I wind up at the gym, but my father said, hey, let, let's go down there. You think you'd like to get into boxing? Because obviously they, they pair you up with somebody that's similar to your size. So I went up there and I went went through the, through the novice division, uh, which you take to. And, and as a matter of fact, the, the first big tournament that, that I went through in the novice division, I went and I was living in Knoxville, Tennessee at the time, which they had a really strong boxing program uh, on, under Ace Miller and Steve Witt. And then, so I went through the novice division, won the little tournament there in Knoxville. So they entered me into the to the Junior Olympics. Now, going back in time and looking about it, you know, when when the bell rang, all I knew was to throw punches. So I wasn't as talented and skilled as most of the people, but just similar to the way I am today, I believe I can outwork most people in in the trades and in, in at the at the in the boxing ring. My goal was to, and in the amateurs, that's what counts. You throw more punches than the next guy. So when the bell rang, I ran as fast as I could straight to him, and I threw as many punches as I possibly could until the bell rang again, and then we stopped. And that took me – so I won the district. I got a gold medal in, in the district junior Olympics. I got a gold medal in, in the regional junior Olympics, and I got a bronze medal in the national junior Olympics. And uh, at a relatively inexperienced time, but uh, – uh, you know, it, it was it was fun and it was a good ride. So I went to Colorado Springs for, for all that. It was a really good time, something that obviously I, I remember today. Went on there to, to the open division. By this time, I'd moved to, to Nashville. I won the, uh, the, the, the regionals here. We went to, uh, to Knoxville. That's where the fight was. Won the Southern Golden Gloves two, two years in a row and went to the National Golden Gloves two, two years in a row and I guess the the big part about it is, and this is why it's always fun and interesting for me, is you know, uh, Evander Holyfield and I were on the the same boxing team. So he was fighting out of Atlanta, I was fighting out of Nashville. The region was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and and so we were on the same team going to to the nationals together. Now nobody knew anybody. Evander right. wasn't <laughs> anything at that time. My, uh, Mike Tyson, we saw at, at the at the nationals. He wasn't any anybody at the time. So, you know, that's kind of a, a funny spin to, to where I was at that time in my life. And so as I was doing plumbing and I'm watching these two guys make a whole lot of money, me and my buddies would always sit around and watch those two. That's when boxing, <laughs> in my mind, was was really at its peak. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I, wanted to, I did not want to skip over that part of the story for a couple of reasons. One, boxing is such an inch. I mean, we're talking like 
the contact sport. This uh, boxing was way better then uh, than it is today, in my opinion. I, ironically, here's a couple of things that happened with boxing. One is we had Mike Tyson um, out to our Rhino X event, um, and that was actually we had. And I did a Q and A with him, kind of like this. And I can't remember if I told you. I know I had. I don't think I had. Yeah, I had done it whenever you and I had already met. But his is episode one fifteen, and essentially it was my interview with Mike Tyson. Um, at Rhino X, which by the way, I remember, I still remember you committed to Rhino X 2023. So we'll see you there, Jimmy. <laughs> uh, um, we'll make sure you get, get you taken care of. But ironically, I was at the, uh, Phoenix Suns game last night, the playoffs game and, um, and Floyd Mayweather was sitting five chairs down from me. Floyd uh-huh, Mayweather okay. is about five, seven ish. He's a short little guy. Like he is not very tall. Um, his bodyguard was literally twice his size, twice his size. <laughs> he was huge. You couldn't miss him walking. Well, you couldn't miss him walking in anyway, but, but here's, what's interesting about all this. I just signed my son up for boxing. He's 11 and I signed him. He's a little guy like me too. So like his, his the odds of him being some big guy is probably pretty slim because I'm small too. But, um, what I love about that sport is, um, the, the contact piece of it. And um, the confidence that I think you can build and the discipline that comes from it. I mean, and, and kind of like I was in um, wrestling as I grew up, it was a really great sport for me because it taught me, um, again, the discipline, like a work ethic. And you kind of can, the volume of work and effort that I put in could almost predict somewhat of my outcome. So, you know, I was willing to kind of, like you said, outwork everybody. So I wonder, I mean, one where did the appeal for boxing come from in the first place? Was it like, did your dad introduce you to the sport and that's how you got into it? Was it this because you like gotten fist fights as kid anyway? Like I got, you know, plenty of little tussles, but how'd you get introduced to it in the yeah. first place? Well, you know, and I, I can't remember exactly. I, I, I do remember the first day that we went down there and we just went down there to watch. And, um, you, you, you know, I guess the big thing was it was my size and I was a, a scrapper. So I would get in, especially when I was little, if, um, if you'd said something wrong to me, you know, I'd probably pop you. And, um, you know, it didn't make any difference how big or how small you were. You know, like I said, I played, played hockey and I got plenty of fights. It's not a story for today, but my dad was the coach at one time and we both got kicked out of the hockey game. So, uh, you know, um, my very, and I should, when I was uh, probably in first grade, my, my, I got kicked out. Uh, my dad had taught me how to throw a forearm. So I was throwing a forearm to this kid and they kicked me out. And then later on, they kicked my dad out because he went down and showed the, showed the referee what a forearm was too. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, some of these funny stories that, that we have about, about our lives. Uh, you know, we, We'd uh, Nick made me promise that I wouldn't say this, but in today's world, we'd probably both wind up in prison. Right? <laughs> hey, times were different, man. Times were different. Yeah, yeah. So you could do a few things like that. Of course, you know, oh, I was probably funny. what five, six. You know, and, and I just doing father following the instructions that my father gave. I, I got and it. And that's man. what we did. You know, when Dad said do something, you did it. When I was a kid, you know what's interesting is that now that I've gotten to know you a little bit more. Um, Had I not read that, I would have never guessed by how like you carry yourself because it's not like you're this big, um, overpowering, like egotistical, loud, like what you're saying doesn't match that. 
you know, to like, (laughs) so it it was like intriguing to me when I had, I had said, Oh man, I just got through interviewing Jimmy. Like, and when I got back from Vegas and they're like, Oh, did he tell you about his boxing career? I was like, wait, what? I'm like, no, (laughs) I would have never even guessed that. So, but do you ever, I mean, do you find like, um, you know, from some of those things that you, I mean, you talk about going out and punching, you know, like, because you, um, that was part of the game is you got to go out there and try and throw as many punches, land as many punches as you, as you can. Um, there's a lot of work. It's like, not like you just went out there and just started like throwing haymakers and just flailing your arms. Like there has, there's some skill to this thing too, but <clears throat> there's gotta be some sort of like ongoing practice, like work ethic or something from that, that you've kind of carried through, uh, into your career, right? Like it's gotta be something in there that you've brought with you. SmartAC.com, SmartAC.com. If you haven't heard of it, you better find out. If you haven't implemented it, you better check it out. You have to get started doing something. 2024 is going to be an absolute battlefield. What are you doing differently than your competitors? You need to make sure that your memberships are sticky. SmartAC.com does that. Lifetime warranty, insurance savings, filter discounts, 24-7 monitoring that lets you know about problems before the homeowner might even know about the problem. Live tech chat, service providers, all of this with smartac.com. You've got to check it out now. Yeah, there's no, there's no question. When you look at it, how I was as a boxer, especially early on, I wasn't the most talented. And I had to work extremely hard to compete at the level I wanted to compete at. There's not any difference in my business today. I, I don't think that I'm the smartest guy that there is out there. I do believe, you know, you know I'm, I'm going to outwork most of the people. So, you know, I've gotten up at 4.30 most, most of my life, and I get up and I go to work and do whatever's necessary for me to succeed. Did it back then, and that same work ethic, like you talked about, is the same thing I live, live, live today. So I get up every morning, I go to work, and I, and I try to do what's right and what's gonna, whatever's going to move us forward to the next level, that's what I'm willing to do. Got it. So it kind of reminds me of Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean it's, kind yeah. of, it's kind of the same thing. Well, the whole no quit, you know, like all heart, keep going. And, um, you know, I didn't have, um, I've, I've always been small, which is why wrestling was a good sport for me because I'm wrestling guys sure. my size or I actually wrestled a few uh, girls my size and a guy with one leg who, because he only had one leg, was my size. So I got to wrestle right. quite a few interesting people. But the point was, is that I had good eth- work ethic. I wasn't, I didn't have natural ability. So I had to really like try and outwork them and outpractice and do all the, all the extra things and which I, which has directly carried me into this business. Um, and that same kind of thing, which, which is why I asked that question. Um, so that pulls you into, okay. So, um, we're from, from where we ended up with your story is was in 1999, you've got the relationship with, with Jim and with Terry. And like, now you start to take me into the two thousands and let's start talking through like the growth of Hiller. So we had, we had obviously continued to grow our, our commercial new construction side of our business. And in, in my opinion, thought it was going, going relatively well. And, and so we joined, joined uh, forces with Jim and Terry started the plumbing service uh, side of our business in 2003. I I partnered with a a local contractor here in town trying to get into the HVAC business. He didn't run his business as as well as I thought he should. So I I cut that relationship and I I hired an individual to help me start the HVAC side of the business. Once again, partnered with Jim and Terry in 2003 on the HVAC side. 
and then continued to work work hard every day. And then in 2005, I was really doing, at the time, the largest job that we'd ever done. And uh, it was a, a new school here in, in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, and this contractor, which is still today one of the most reputable, at least as far as everybody thinks, reputable contractors in town. And uh, they owed me about $300,000 and they wouldn't pay me. So I called a meeting with the with the project manager, went down to the office and said, hey, you owe me this $300,000. Uh, it's for this wing over here that's 100% complete. Is that correct? He said, yes. I said, have we passed inspection? He said, yes, you have. I said, we have we finished the punch list? Yes, you have. I said, well, then why won't you pay me? And he was wanting me to do some other work that was not ready. And he said, well, I've got to get your attention somehow. So it's really, as far as payroll is concerned, it didn't hurt me at that time because we had built up enough service side of the business that that payroll was not really a big problem. But my suppliers were getting upset. We owed them quite a bit of money for the work and the material that we purchased. So, you know, I left there very angry. I had another job, a car dealership I was doing at the time. And every time that I got paid on that job, I had to put a lien on it. And I said, I woke up and I said, man, what in the world am I doing? I, I can't continue to do that. It was October, 2005. I had just purchased a new building and here I was, I was doing about $4 million in commercial new construction. I was doing about $4 million in residential uh, service and replacement. And I said, Hey, I'm going to give up all of my construction. I'm going to shut it down. I can't, I don't have the temperament to fight with these people anymore. So obviously I was scared to death once again, sitting there saying, okay, going from 2005 to 2006, just purchased a new building and I'm going to give up half of my revenue. I was scared to death. What could go wrong? Yeah. So (laughs) I called Mr. Abrams and obviously he was putting on a general manager's class in, uh, in a hotel in, in, in Florida. He said, Jimmy is for two weeks. Are you committed to come down here and spend two weeks with me? And uh, I said, yes. You know, once again, I'm I'm back in survival mode. How am I going to smile? I went down there and I spent two weeks two weeks with him. And that's really when I came up came up with my first what I'd call true business plan. Went down there, spent the two weeks, put in the time, working nights, okay, in the hotel room, trying to answer calls and, and things like that, just to keep the business moving forward left there with with a 10-year a, a business plan to go from $4 million where I was in the service side to $50 million in residential service and replacement. And we wound up doing that in eight years. Nice. So so you just abandoned all things new construction straight on out on replacement and service? Yeah. So I had some jobs, obviously, that I had was committed to that yeah. I had to finish. I didn't uh, default on anybody. I said, oh, but I'm not going to bid any. So when the, when the contractors were calling me saying, Hey, Jimmy, we got this job coming up. I said, Hey, I'm too busy. I can't, I can't bid it right now. They understood that. And really I didn't, cause I didn't want to tell them because once I had cut them off, they would have cut me off and treated me differently. So I, I said, Hey, I'm too busy. I can't do it right now. And then once I, I got those jobs finished, I said, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be doing any more of this, this work. And that's really when my life started to change a little bit. Got it. So at least at least you like first. I mean, if 
if, if all else failed, you didn't want to cut it off because at least there was something that you're kind of like that you could have done if you wanted to do it. But instead what you're trying to do is push it off by not bidding it. Cause you're too busy. I use air quotes. To, is that kind of like what Correct. the metallic? Okay. Got it. So, um, right. so you have this, this, you know, the, the 10 year plan from four to 50, but you hit it in, in eight. Um, is this just HVAC still? Uh, I mean, is this just plumbing? Is it, I mean, when do you start introducing the other, um, the other like, uh, so verticals we, into this thing? Yeah, we started, we started obviously plumbing in plumbing. 1990 and new construction entered the service side in 98, met Jim and Terry in 99, introduced, HVAC in 2003. Right. And and then introduced electrical in 2012. 12. Got it. So about the time we were getting to that pretty close to that $50 million mark is when we said we had, we actually had two individuals uh, that had a little company that, that were doing all of our sub work, Uh, you know, running electric to tankless water heaters, any panel, uh, uh, upgrades that we needed to do to install stuff. And they came to me and said, Hey, Jimmy, uh, we 90% of our business is with you. Why don't we just come to work for you? And I said, okay, that's fine. And that's how we started the the electrical (laughs) side. And we started obviously advertising for it and got into the electrical business at that point. Got it. Um, Okay. Gotcha. So, so that electrical came kind of right at the tail end of you hitting that first business plan goal. Of the, Correct. of the, yeah, gotcha. Okay. So now I guess we would fast forward to, uh, what was that? 2013. That's about the year. So, so, somewhere right. Somewhere right about 2013 is when we hit the, hit the $50 million mark. And, you know, obviously I, I learned my lesson about planning and coming up with business plans. So as I knew I was going to hit that, or it looked like I was going to hit that, I started coming up with the next plan and I said, okay, it took me, uh, 10 years to get to, to the $50 million mark. I, I want to hit a um, hundred million dollars in probably another 10 years. We wound up doing that by, by 2020. So we went from uh, $50 million in, in by, by 2013, 14, something like that to 2000 to a hundred million dollars in 2020. And once we knew we were going to hit that, I set my size and I said, okay, I think we can do a little bit better than that. I want to go from $100 million in 2020 to $200 million in 2025. And, and we're on track. So we finished up last year about $127 million. We're on pace this year to do about $145 million. Awesome, man. Congratulations. Um, listen, uh, I'm always curious, like, because there were some big chunks in there. Um, and I and, and I asked this question um, to you before and I remember your answer but I want to ask it again in a different way um was there a moment when like early on in the business like maybe in that business plan when when things really just started to to click or were there moments in that eight like that eight nine ten year business plan where like things started to click multiple times where you could start to see like got it I hit, I, you know, I had this plan, I executed, and now I can see like, cause when you're, when you're say, even if you're, you're 4 million to see $50 million when you're a $4 million company might be a little bit difficult. Like you might have the ambition to do it, but to actually see how to get there might prove difficult, especially, I mean, for sure at a hundred, like it's so far down the road that I don't know how you could like actualize that in your brain. Like you could get a good vision, but I don't know how you actually see it through. But as you're growing, you start to see more and more like, 
Got it. Like you saying you want to go from 100 to 200 it makes a little bit more sense because you can, you've been through it enough and had enough moments and understand enough of the, of the vitals of the business to actually scale to that size. But were there some like key moments in there in that growth plan that like where you noticed things just started to click and you got it and it made sense? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously the way I was taught to do it is you take that 10-year plan and you break it down by year, right? So there's no question. I, I really didn't, couldn't comprehend, especially where I was at that time in my life, how I would ever get to the $50 million mark. Yeah. I just knew that that's what I was told I wanted to do. Got it. You set that, set, set that goal out there and then you you step back, okay, to, to do that, to get to that, that $50 million dollars. What do you have in, in 10 years? What do you have to do in nine years? What do you have to do in eight years? What do you have to do in seven years? And then it breaks it down to a small enough piece. Okay, what do I have to do next year? And so if I can see, if, if I believe in my mind, I can comprehend that next year step, then, then I'm probably okay. Can't see the 10 year, but can I see next year? Right. And then you go step by step. Now, we've been doing it long enough, and, and $100 million in five years is a pretty big step. Heck yeah. But I've done it multiple times. So I can visualize, but I still did it exactly the same way. That's how I know I'm on track. I said, okay, what do I have to do in four years? What do I have to do in three years? What do I have to do in two years? And what do I now have to do next year? So, you know, we exceeded the budget in 2021. To, uh, above pace of what we needed to do, and we're exceeding it again now at $145 million on our way to 200. So, you know, we could have a few things happen to us that could accelerate that. You know, we'll see if I can do it in four versus five, but five, there's no question that $200 million. And, and when you think about it, how long it took me to get to $100 million, I'm going, I'm doubling in size. Yeah in a relatively short period of time yeah. over a five year period of time. Yeah. Is, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, is, um, at this phase is acquisition part of that strategy? I'm assuming it probably is. So when you, when you look at where we are today, we have, you know, 16 locations right over across one, two, you know, four, four states that we, we now service, uh, everywhere except for Nashville, we've acquired somebody. So, you know, when I shut down the new construction, our very first acquisition was in 2006. You know, I got out of the new construction. I was managing my service business. A friend of mine who I who I'd talked to uh, many, many times over the years, about an hour from, from Nashville, called me up frustrated. And he said, Jimmy, if you want this thing, you better come get it. <laughs> I called him up, went up there, and, and obviously we acquired his business within probably six months. Even today is probably the easiest acquisition we've ever done because I had visited his shop many times, knew all of his people, all his people knew me, had similar, we had networked with each other, shared best practices. So it's still even today, after all these years and all the acquisitions, the most seamless acquisition we've we've ever made. Well, yeah, integration was probably much easier because you guys were you were already kind of like you do you already in there knew the people, like so there was already right. that like relationship. So I get it. Cause that's half the battle too, right? Is when you go through acquisition is the integration piece and like trying to manage, you know, manage the new staff and, uh, cause you got to create sure. new relationships and all that fun stuff. So yeah. do you have like a, uh, like what is the end, what's the end goal for you? you trying to get this? Is there a certain number you're trying to get to? Is it even about that? Is it about the building? Like what's the driver for you? Cause you, I mean, you've, you've had a lot of great success. You've got a good reputable 
business, a great brand, like a lot of great things going for you. Um, is like, what's the drive behind all this for you? Yeah. So, so we, we reset our vision every so often. And we said it, I think at the, at the middle of last year, started looking where we're going. And, and my vision is to be the largest privately held home service com- company in the, in the nation. And that's what we were working towards. Now, you know, there, there's a lot of people out there in the world today. Everybody knows what the venture capitalists have come in to do. Oh, yeah. that, that's, that's not what we're part of. So we're growing our business. We're growing it you know, with our own internal funds. Uh, today, we're a debt-free company, and we're just growing the business off the profitability that we do every every single day. So, um, you know, I don't have all that money, but we're still growing, and we're growing re- relatively fast. So, Yeah, I love that. So, um, and it is it is unique, too, because you're, I mean, obviously, you and I have talked about this, too, but the, like the, the private equity game is r- ridiculous at this. Like, there's so many players, like, in this space, and, like, I'm curious to see what this is all going to, come down to, but, um, when consolidations are going to happen with consolidators, like some, some of the stuff's going to go down. Sure. Um, but I was just, I'm always curious to know kind of what the drive is because it can't always, I mean, the, it's gotta be more than just the trend, like the, the, the money, there's gotta be a much bigger purpose of it. Like I enjoy building this company, you know, we're a, you know, we're an eight figure business. Um, and I'm enjoying the building of it. And it's kind of same, you know, bootstrap thing together. It's all organic. I've never had any, you know, cash infusion in this thing. It's my own, you know, I've, I've, but I've debt free, don't owe anybody anything. And I'm enjoying the building, but it gets hard at times too. Like it's all, I mean, the success, you know, sounds good on here uh, for, you know, for you, for me, like I, you've experienced more than I have but it certainly doesn't come without its challenges, right? Like everybody ha- goes through these different challenges and you, and you get them at all different phases too. I've learned, you know, as we've, you know, grown in from like past five to 10, it, you see these different challenges that kind of show their, you know, that kind of show up um, that maybe you saw early on in the business, but maybe it wasn't at the scale it is. It's kind of seems like firefighting can somewhat become a regular job that somebody has to have in the business, you know, as you grow and scale. What are some of like what are some of the the like the the mistakes maybe that you or someone in the business has made that you guys have learned from we all make them, but is there anything that like stands out to you that was like, oh man, we made this mistake and moved on? Now you talked about new construction, so I'm not talking about any of that stuff, but as if there's anything else, unless that was like a pivotal moment too, where you're like, no, this was a major mistake that we had made that allowed that we learned from and scaled the business. Is there anything like that that you can think of off the top of your head that kind of pops up that says, Man, yep, for sure, this was one of the big mistakes I made and and this is what you know, how it impacted the business. Yeah, I think if, if you're going to, and it's always changing, but I think if you're going to be in the contracting business, you're going to make mistakes. We'll be here another four or five hours if we go through the list of all the mistakes <laughs> I made. You, you know, you either win or you learn from, from what's happening. So when, you, when, you, when you're when you growing, growing your business, and I look at it, so there's a couple of things that I would talk about. First of all, had I had it all to do over again, I would have found my mentors earlier, right? Learn oh, from somebody else's mistakes so you don't have to make those same mistakes yourself. Learn from their, their knowledge, their experiences, so you, so you don't have to do that again. The second thing is, you know, as I was growing the business, I kept saying, okay, I'll put some of these 
better procedures in place when I get to the next level. I'll do this. It's a whole lot easier to build the, the procedures as you go through the business instead of waiting till you get to, you know, 50 or $100 million and say, hey, we got these gaps and then try to go back and fill them. Build the processes and procedures as you're building your company and then they'll grow with you. So, you know, those are the things that I've learned as a younger guy, it wasn't, you know, I didn't think about those things. It's about how you grow the business. And now I think about how do you make that foundation stronger than what it is today? How do you build a business that is bulletproof and make sure it lasts? You know, I, I'm thinking right now, you you asked about it. You know, this business has got to outlast me. It's got to be strong and on a strong foundation. So when it's time for my children and now my thinking about my grandchildren to take, take it over, that it's on a strong, strong foundation for them. The employees that, that have entrusted in me to come to work for me, you know, that, that one of the reasons why growth is so important for, for me is opportunity only comes with growth. You know, I can't provide more opportunity for the people that are working for me for me if I'm not growing this business. Yep. How can this technician that's in the field become a, a service manager, general manager, whatever his dreams are? You know, part of my job, part of my responsibility is making sure that they can fulfill their dreams through this organization. When I worked for other people, there was no none of that opportunity. That's why I had to set out on my own because I couldn't see myself anywhere but in a truck with them at those particular times in my career. Makes perfect sense. You know, the, um, I want to uh, admittedly say this on air to everybody. Um, I heard you say to me before you either win or learn. I've probably used that about 50 or so times in different presentations I've given since then. So thank you for that, Jimmy. I appreciate it. <laughs> I've used it. That's good. I'm not coining that phrase. I didn't take, I didn't take, like I didn't say it was me, um, but I appreciate that because I've used it. Um, you had, you had yeah. said something just a minute ago that made me think um, that, and I can, again, I can't remember if you and I talked about this last time or not, but somebody shared with me and I can't, and, and I can't even remember who it was, which is ridiculous. Cause I, I think about this all the time, but um I was told that uh, as the business continues to grow, um, that my vision has to be big enough for everyone else's vision to fit in it. So, so I needed to make sure I understood, um, you know, what are my employees' visions for themselves in this company? Like, what is it that they're trying to get to? And is my vision large enough for this business to accommodate everybody else's vision? So when I heard that, it was, I started sending out, um, a, an email to my entire team asking for their personal and professional goals. So that way I could start to understand what's important to them and, and, and does what there is, what there, or is it what they're trying to do with their, with themselves is my vision big enough to fit that stuff in there. If not, I'm not thinking big enough. So I, I taken that, I've, it weighs on me. I think about those things and it's something that I've kind of had to think through. I'm like, man, am I thinking big enough? And I'm a pretty big visionary. So like, I feel like I do a good job, but <laughs> I don't know. That was one thing that wrecked me on it as I had to really think through that. Yeah, there's no question. I think in the world we live at today, all, all people are looking for somebody to assist them in where they want to go, go in their life. And, and as employers, right? 
I, I think we have to start thinking like that. We have to be like what you're talking about, involved with the people that are working for you and, and help them achieve what they can. If if you can't help them achieve it, they're going they're going to leave you. Yeah, right? right. They're going to go elsewhere. I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's great for employee retention. Now, now to shift gears and kind of go down that path a little bit is part of the of this growth plan. Uh, obviously, is going to require human beings, like people, technicians, those things that have to happen, right? So you got to either have like a really good recruiting effort or have your own, you know, train your own school, your own tech technical training school. You got to do something though. Cause if you have any sort of growth plan, that's got to be a part of your plan is, and I mean, I would say arguably it might be the more difficult part of the plan is trying to accommodate, uh, finding the bodies, you know, to be able to hand the bandwidth, to handle the bandwidth of the growth. You guys have, I mean, obviously you guys have your training. This Is this like going to become more common, you think, where contractors are going to just have to start to create their own, like incubate their own employees? Yeah, there's no question. I think that, that obviously, especially in the past, there hasn't been very many high school students coming out and getting into the trades. Right. Everybody... Everything you hear, they say you got pushing you towards college. Right. Obviously, college wasn't wasn't the right step step for me. It was for my brother and my two two sisters. And and if people have a career that requires college, you know, I think that they should pursue whatever that career is. But there's a lot of people that college isn't the right thing for them. So we're going to have to find out or get with these people and find a way to introduce them to the trades, right? I think that that's going to be the way of the future. Whether you do something, use an apprenticeship, bring them in and let them ride in the passenger seat with a seasoned technician for a period of time and do it that way, send them to a trade school. You know, we, we were looking at it as we were growing and it, this was probably about 2013. You know, we were struggling like everybody is today. How do we get technicians? How right. can we find the right technicians? I had one of my markets that, that I could not find a technician. So finally, I uh, advertised no experience necessary, will train. And when I, as I was interviewing the people, I found this one individual said, you know, hey, Jimmy, one of my jobs I used to have, I was an oil change mechanic at a Jiffy Lube type place, okay, mechanically inclined. Then his other job was he was a landscaper. I, I envisioned him working, sweating out in the hot sun. I said, okay, mechanically inclined, a guy that's willing to, willing to work out in the hot sun and sweat, I'll hire you. I paid for him to go to the school. Uh we didn't have the school at that time, and he's been with me ever, ever since then. So been a, a great addition to the team. And this was probably uh, back 2006, 2007. And uh, when, when we decided wanting to grow our business even more, we said, okay, we, we're having this problem. We can't find people. Well, we can either settle for the goals that we have, or we can think, what can we do about it? Well, just so happened, I'd, I'd sent my people, HVAC technicians, to Don Miller in his school. And uh, so when I decided to, when we moved in this current building, we decided to to partner with him. I wound up buying his school. We moved <laughs> him into our facility. So we had HVAC. We developed the plumbing program. And then, then we started uh, the electrical program, obviously, right after that. So you know, we've had, and then after that, we built a, a program with Fort Campbell, Kentucky, the uh, Army base. And, you know, over the past four or five years, we've had a thousand soldiers 
come through, come exiting out of the military, have gone through our schools, and, and most of them are employed into the trades now. So I take great, great pride in saying, hey, we call it transitioning to trades. We're tr transitioning soldiers into the trades, and it's it's been a, a great blessing to, to us and, and as far as our whole organization. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that whole type of program too. So kudos to you for you guys for doing that. I mean, it's one, it certainly solves the problem, but also is helpful. I mean, for our veterans too. So, which is fantastic. Um, so what I kind of heard from you in that was, and, and when you hire some of these people who don't, when you put like no experience necessary, you kind of get to forego any potential, like, you know, issues that they brought with them, like any old bad habits that they have with them too. So the, the flip side is, is that it, you have to, you're starting pretty much from scratch, but you're hiring the human, sure. you're hiring the human being first, but you're looking at like interesting spin to say, um, yeah, they're mechanically inclined. He was, you know, doing oil changes or, Hey, he was, I, you know, I didn't think about that. It, the mechanically inclined piece thinks of it, but you're thinking through like, Hey man, this guy's got to, you know, if he's willing to go out and work on sprinklers and sweat in the hot sun, you know, he's mechanically inclined and he's willing to, you know, put in the effort to go and do those things. Yeah. You can teach him the trades and arguably um, could have a better career for that guy as well. I mean, there's obviously so much opportunity in the trades and the high schools really aren't much help <laughs> on trying to spit out anybody, or, you know, or pull them into the trades too. I was really kind of hoping that, and you guys might have some more visibility to this than me, but I was really hoping that during COVID with, um, you know, with us being all these, you know, deemed essential businesses that maybe that would start to rock that boat a little bit with high schools to try and create it. I don't know that I'm seeing any really any movement, any of that from the conversations I've had. Are you seeing any of that type of stuff or hearing about it? Well, they're starting to get open to it. So obviously, you know, we're fairly well known in this area. Right. So we've started doing it. So we actually also have a full set a full-time instructor at one of the high schools, right? That goes through there Monday through Friday, uh, you, know, you know, through the school year and teaching the, not not any hands-on because obviously there's liability, right. but the theory behind what, what we do in the HVAC world, at least to try to pique their interest. Hey, is this something that 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 I like to, uh, like to get into? I had a, a young man and his father, uh, last week coming to our facility, right? He's when he graduates from high school, he wants to get into the trades. His father now sees is that as a good way, a good career. So I think you'll start seeing some of the shift to it. It's it's still not as attractive, right? It is you know, computer programming or, or, or being a broadcaster, a podcaster <laughs> like you, right? Uh, so uh you know, when I go talk to the uh, to the grade kids uh, every now and then in career day, you know, I say, you know, and they ask me about a, being a plumber. They, they said, do you ever get any poo on you? I said, well, you know, back in the days, I got a little poo on me. Okay, so that's just what <laughs> I laugh. <laughs> Well, I, uh, I, I, well, of course, because that's always funny. Um, e even as adults, it's still funny. <laughs> um, I uh, random thought. I actually never heard the term before. Um, what was it? It was the day after Thanksgiving being called um, Black Friday. It was like Brown. What's it? Brown Friday. <laughs> it's, you know, it's what I'm Brown about? Friday. Brown because Friday because of, of the plumbers, right? It's Brown Friday because. You know, all the pipes stop up and it's, it's one of plumbers uh, busiest days because, you know, you know, I don't know where people get it, but they think that you can cram anything and everything down these pipes. 
and, and it's just not possible. So, you know, the Friday when everybody's shopping, uh, somebody's at home trying to get us to come out there and, and take care of their stopped up grains. So good. And it makes so much sense. I can remember, I think I heard that like a couple of years ago for the first time and I just, I lost it on air for like a solid five minutes. Yeah. Uh, makes so much sense. So, Hey, I think we're getting close to like an hour into this thing already. Um, so I, I want to ask just a couple more questions so I can be cognizant of your, of your time, Jimmy, but, and thanks for everything you're sharing so far. Um, and I, uh, well, actually t- to what we were just talking about with the high school where you said you have a, a trainer in there, did you guys, did you pursue that or did they come to you and ask you like, how did that thing play out? Yeah, they opened it up. Obviously, we, we went over there and they wanted to talk to us about, you know, somehow getting them because everybody's knowing it. Now, here in Davidson County, there's not there's only one school that has the HVAC and another one has mechanics. So they're trying to bring those type of careers back to the high schools because they do understand. Yeah. I mean, as educators, they understand that, that hey, that, that that's a problem. They've got all these people going to college and then come out, come out of college and, and uh, you know, spent all this money, went into debt, and they can't can't get a job. Well, you, you know, if if you want to work and you're willing to put forth the effort in, in any of the home service trades, you can get a job tomorrow. Yeah, there, there's no, and this is what I tell the the people: it doesn't matter any, make any difference anywhere in the country you want to go, you can find the job. This is a lifelong career yeah. for you and your family if you have one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Uh, that's is where I was like really happy that we were deemed essential business. And ultimately because, you know, with, with my company, with Rhino, we only do internet marketing, lead generation or HVAC plumbing electric. Like, well, I'm in the same world as you too. So like I, I, and, and really during, we've learned that we're not only, um, you know, if there's a recession, uh, we're a recession proof business, which is nice. Uh, and if there's a pandemic, we're a pandemic proof business because <laughs> yeah. when you were deemed essential, so were we because we are the sure. ones, you know, and, and it was a really great, a really great run. And I thought a really great time for the, for the trades to kind of be exposed for what it is. And that is obviously essential to mankind. <laughs> so it, you have lots of opportunity in the, in the trades, um, but just picking the right, you know, right company to grow with, who values you, your education, all those types of things. Um what advice do you think that you would give to, because you, I mean, on this podcast, we have a lot, we have a, a you know, a, we have a big variety of people listening to it, but the majority are going to be, um, you know, t- technicians, some are owners that are just kind of getting started. Maybe they're, maybe they're, you know, half a million, million, two, three million. What kind of advice do you have to give to somebody who's kind of like just getting started which again is a decent chunk of our listeners trying to listen to guys like you who've been through it, don't do it, have done it, understand it. They're trying to take something away from what you've done and learned over the years to apply to their business, you know, and try and move it along. Um, kind of like you did with, you know, with Jim and Terry, like you kind of, and their leadership, but what advice, you know, could you, or would you give to somebody who's just kind of getting started? Like maybe something that you have to pay attention to. First of all, I think, you know, it's very difficult when you're going through some of the struggles that you, you have gone through and going to go through because it's, it's not easy. But just to be born in this country, we've already got it made. So, yep. so we've got a leg up on, on everywhere else in the world. Yep. And anything that you want to make out of your life inside this industry, you can do that. So, you know, 
they always say that most people get give up before the dream ever happens, right? And, and you got to have that mentality. You're going to make it. This is a great industry. You can make it whatever level you want to. And it, and it could be that, hey, you know, a million dollars is that's all I want. I don't want the stress. That's okay if that's what you want. You know, your business is simply a vehicle to get you what you want out of life and, and, and ride that vehicle wherever you want to. One million dollars, two million dollars. A hundred million dollars, two hundred million dollars, or the or the largest in uh, in, the, in the nation. It's available to you if you're willing to to do a couple things. First of all, get up at four thirty and go go to work. Right. Find find the mentors that you need to get get you the advice and gain the knowledge. You've got to get the knowledge to compete in the world where it is today. And the way it is today, it's ever changing. You know, the 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 home service industry is not the same way it was. 10 years ago. You know, Nick, Nick and I talk, talk about it all the time. I wish it was as simple as you bought the yellow pages, right? Mm-hmm. I understood that game. You bought this page right here. You bought this size and it was going to give you this, this area and it bring you this far to the front. It's more and more complicated every single day. So right. you have to learn and adapt if you want to grow your business. And that's where, so find the people out there, plenty of people that are willing to help you. Uh, grab a hold of them, call them, meet them. And, and gain the knowledge you need. So look at where you're at. Look at the gaps in your knowledge and what you need to do uh, to gain gain that knowledge. Find your mentor and, and grab a hold of them and let them help you uh, get to where you want to go. Got it. So um, I heard you say a few things in there, and that's um, obviously have a positive attitude, like you are what you think you are type of stuff. Um, if it is to be, it's up to me. I heard a uh, yeah. on a podcast, somebody said, oh, Kevin Comerford, that's who said it to me, um, service champions, yeah. Northern California. But it kind of have a positive ab- attitude and then ultimately um, do what, like what makes you happy, right? If it's 1 million, 2 million, 3 million, whatever the number is, like you still, you still do want to be happy with what you're doing. Um, find good mentorship, I think is obviously clearly important. Um, and there's plenty of that going on right now in our trades where people have uh, opened up their shops and um, facilities and like even taking phone calls. I mean, from this alone, you know, um, this podcast alone has been a lot of, I've been able to make a lot of connections from this, which I'm extremely grateful for. And then heard a lot of success stories and, and simply all they did was go and visit a facility and ask a lot of questions. And then they went back and implemented a few things, you know, not everything works and not, you're not doing everything the same, but, but they at least took the, uh, you know, t- took, um, action and, and implemented some things into their business. So, cause you got to do those things. And that's like the constant education thing that you're talking about is it is, you know, things are changing. And, um, I'm a big believer in, um, I say no zero days is kind of how I usually finish a podcast because, if you got to be getting a little bit better every day, I'm not saying you have to big, big, you know, big, huge chunks every single day, but doing something to constantly move yourself forward because somebody's coming for you. Um, somebody's trying to take market share away from you. Somebody's trying to take an employee away from you. So like, what are you doing to constantly make yourself better? And it's kind of like, you know, not just with marketing, but with operations, with finances, with, you know, coaching and leadership and training and all the things like, but you constantly got to be educating yourself to move the business forward. So pick one. Pick one, at least start chipping away at one of these things, you know, whether, you know, and that actually applies to really business of, of any size. So I think those are some pretty simple principles. So yeah, I think you can look at it like this. You know, the only real competition we have is with ourselves. You know, we put forth the plans and how well we execute that plan will determine our success or failure, not what everybody else does in the world. You know, if we just go to work on what our plan is today, will be successful. Hey, I don't, 
I, is there a question that I, I haven't asked you that you wish I would have asked you? Like, is there something that you wish I would have, I would have asked you that you could have shared with the guests or with our listeners? Uh, there's nothing. I, th I think we've covered most of my life. You know, you've taken me up where I am today, right? <laughs> That's fair. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, well, then the last question is really um, one that I'm I'm kind of curious to hear uh, what your answer is. And this is something that um, I'm sure that we'll probably share in, a, in, a, in another podcast and it's around legacy. <clears throat> and, um, you know, to me, it's uh, I've been able to hear a lot of our guests' legacies and what they what they want their legacy to be. And um, we had a podcast episode. I want to say it was maybe one thirteen that had Larry Fitzgerald on, um, future first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, Arizona Cardinals. And and we in his whole podcast was around leaving a legacy because we all have one. But it's going to be one of the other, like you you have a legacy. It's just what do you want it to be? And it's something I've thought more and more. But I mean, I'm only 42, but I'm still certainly thinking about what do I want my legacy to be? Have you put some thought into that, Jimmy? Like, what do you want? What do you want your legacy to be? Yeah, I, th I think my legacy will be determined when I when I'm dead and gone. You know, I, I've, I've, obviously, I believe we're a legacy business. We want to continue to grow the business. And how well I build this business will be determined by, by my grandchildren and my grandchildren's grandchildren. So how how well can I build this business? Now I won't be as responsible, but I have to build the foundation. Uh, and and if I do that right, then I can look you know hopefully from above down and say, hey, you know I I, I at least set them on the path. They're going to have to carry it past me. But at least I set it on the strong foundation that, that they could. And, you know, we've always done it honestly, ethically. We don't play any games in our business. We do things the, the right way each and every time. And if we don't do it right, we, we, we try to make it right or we will make it right. So, uh, you know, uh, happy you'll be with the services free is our slogan. And, and I'm thankful we get called on it from time to time. But it's not that much, right? So. <laughs> Got it. So what I hear you say is reputable you know, continue to grow this, you know, you have this reputable independent home services organization. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, it's a home services company that you can pass on generation to generation. Um, you have, is it eight grandkids? Do I remember that correctly? I do. I, I have eight, eight grandchildren. So, you know, when you, when you have children early young, when the time you're 56, you've got, you've got eight, eight grandchildren. So <laughs> makes sense. Got it. <laughs> Future employees. <Yeah>. Just <laughs> keep it going. Well, listen, I want to finish with this too. And, and again, I appreciate the time, but um, I would just want to give a minute if, um, you know, if anybody wants to, you know, to connect with you or even to practice S10 and, uh, you know, and, and just kind of see what it's about. What's the best way for someone to make a connection? Um, either one of those, Jimmy. Well, obviously a lot of my story is on practice S10.com. Right. So they can go there and read you know, the, probably a little bit longer version than we had time today yeah. in, in the details. It's, it's all true. It's my life, the good, bad. And, and obviously I told you a little bit of the ugliest stuff, stuff about me today. There's nothing that, um, that I'm ashamed of. Everything that I, that I went through, the good and the bad got me to where I am today. And I can say it today. I wouldn't have said it at the time I was going through it. I wouldn't change it, uh, one single thing about it because I, you know, 
I either either one or I learned from every step and every painful process that I went through through, through in my life. So praxisst10.com it, it tells on there if if you want to reach out to us, we'd be happy to talk to you. If we can help you in any way, that's what we're here for. Uh, you, you know, any guidance that we can give you. Uh, to, to help improve like the people that did did to me. You know, a lot of people ask me, Jimmy, you know, I'm sure you're an extremely busy guy. You know, why do you do this? That's because people did it for me. See, I wouldn't be where I am today had somebody not reached down and, and helped pull me up. Right. And if I can play a part of that, you know, and at night I got many, many compliments saying, hey, Jimmy, thank you. What you've given us, what you've showed us, which is what people showed me, right? It's not like I invented all this stuff. I learned it from my mentors. Um, and, and now, you know, hopefully I can share it to somebody else and change, change their life. And that's really what we're looking at. It's giving back to, to the industry that's been great to me. You know, it's, it's fulfilled every dream I ever imagined. I'm doing the life I'm living today, I did not know was possible, okay? And that's what I woke up every, every day. Somebody showed me the vision of what's possible inside this trade. And by my example, if, if I can show somebody else, it is possible. You live in this country and, and, and get into the home service trades, the life I'm living today is, is a possibility for you. Gotta love it. Such a cool story. American dream, it's good. Well, con- congratulations on on the success, Jimmy. And I will say um, to that point, that's exactly what you're doing. I mean, I've had people talk to me who have said things that you guys have done for them and their business. So so that's exactly what's happening right now. And you're kind of giving back to that, which I would think plays into the legacy of Jimmy Hiller. So is is you kind of, you know, people gave to you and you're giving to others. So I, I commend you for that. I mean, that's a lot of people don't do that, <laughs> but I mean, thankfully the trades right. I think have really showed up, you know, and, and so, um, I commend you listeners. I mean, I, I commend you, Jimmy, but to our listeners, reach out, man. What's the worst case scenario? Like you go and find out, you know, if you're looking for some an organization to kind of help, like, you know, like Jimmy has done, like reach out to Praxis and see what they're all about. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have a phone call and just kind of talk through stuff and see if it's a fit, you know, for one another. And, um, even if it's necessary, I mean, we had Terry come out and speak at, Rhino X and um, my God, he is full of energy. I love listening to, to Terry to Terry talk. Like he gets you jacked up. I had him open up the event on purpose, Jimmy, because <laughs> he brings. Now Terry will for sure get you get you pumped up, right? He gets you going, man, and and just I like yeah. I love his energy and and be, and being around him. Um, but I, again, I appreciate the time. You know, <laughs> again, you've taken you know uh, now a few hours for me. <laughs> I appreciate that, but. It, it's worth it because, you know, this will reach thousands, thousands of contractors, Jimmy, and, and, and hopefully they can take something away from, you know, from, from this that they can implement to their business and, and move it forward. I mean, from, you know, you kind of going through some of the things you went through with the, you know, the, the car crash, like the DUI, the alcohol stuff you had to work through and the change and all these things, and then going into the business and getting out of new construction and going out on replacement and plumbing to adding HVAC and O3 and then jump, dropping the, the, the commercial to now the four. I mean, the whole story is there's so much to it that we covered in a, in a really short amount of time and probably left out of a lot of details, but it's a, it's a story of, uh, of perseverance and it's a story of, um, of drive. And, and like you said too, it is a, uh, um, you know, it's just for you, even to this day, I'm assuming you're still trying to go someplace for constant education. Like, cause you will, you mean you 
you still have to continue to get smarter too, right? You still have to continue to learn. Things don't stop. Now, if you want to continue to to advance your business, you know, there's always a book to read. There's always a webinar to watch. There's always a podcast to listen to, right? All these things that you're trying to gain the knowledge to, to help you succeed and make it just a, a little bit easier. You know, one of the things that, that we talked about at Ignite, you know, and this is where it is, it's dreams, it's the decisions and determination. That's really what, what it boils down to. What are your dream, dreams you, you, you have? The decisions are going to be either positively or negative, negatively affect your life and your business yep. and the determination to continue to push forward. Those are the things. And that's what we talk about at Praxis S10. Hey, you want to know, um, when I was interviewing Mike Tyson, um, first off, I was I don't get nervous about interviewing too many people, but I was really nervous interviewing Mike Tyson because he's a little out there. <laughs> but he said um, in this and uh, in, in the in the interview, actually a few profound things that I thought were pretty good. Um, he said a lot of uh, weird stuff, but there was a lot of like there was some good that came from it. And one thing that I thought was exceptional from it, and I know my my team has heard this quite a bit, but I, mean, I shared this in some of my um, keynotes and presentations I did this this past quarter. But consistency kicks determination's ass. That's what he said. Consistency yeah. kicks determination's ass. I was like, that was pretty good. Consistency That's is important. Good, yeah. it, he didn't say perfection. Consistency. Yeah consistency yeah so so i listen thank you jimmy i, I appreciate you giving all us right. time man i'm so grateful thank you i appreciate it all right listeners again take them up on the offer man to reach out to him if you need some help on stuff like i mean this is i mean obviously these guys have a phenomenal reputation great organization i mean just good salt of the earth people i mean again you would you meet you meet jimmy you would never million years guess he was a little scrapper a little boxer <laughs> I love that story, but um, I'm going to go ahead and finish this thing off with a with a, a review like I normally do too. And this one is um, from Jman74. Applied knowledge is power. Five stars. Applying just some of the things I have learned listening to this podcast has improved my business. This is my go-to podcast, and I'm grateful that you are serving contractors in this way. Keep up the great work, Jay. So, listeners, if you want to leave a, a review for this particular podcast, you know, uh, about Jimmy, we'll make sure that Jimmy gets it. So that way he can also see, because, again, like you heard him say, you know, he does want to continue to give back and help and things like that. And so, listen, if you want to leave him a review, we'll share it with him. And uh, so we appreciate you guys always, of course, you know, go into the podcast, leave a review. We love hearing those things too. And if it's about any of the guests that you're listening to, but regardless, um, I'm super grateful for you listening. And again, all these things that he shared with you and all the things that all of our guests share that share with you, you don't have to do everything, but you got to do something. No zero days. Listeners, thank you so much again for listening to this podcast week after week. We are extremely grateful Again, the whole purpose of this podcast is to give back to the home services industry that we love so much, whether you're a rhino or not. We really, really appreciate all the subscribers. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please go in and subscribe and you'll get all the episodes sent to you automatically weekly. Also, we have really enjoyed your feedback. Uh, it's so meaningful for us when we get to read the nice comments that you guys put. So keep doing that. And if you don't know how to do it, here's what you got to do. You search for To The Point Home Services on Apple Podcasts. You click on our profile, scroll all the way down to the bottom and hit write a review and be honest and share your story and how the podcast has impacted you and your business. Thanks again from the bottom of our hearts at To The Point Home Services Podcast. We appreciate you.